I'll be here next Sunday as well. So it's kind of fun. I get to be with you the last Sunday of the year and the first Sunday of a new year. Uh, it's kind of kind of fun and uh, uh, to be with you two weeks in a row. And and so as we gather on this, I, I can't believe it's the final Sunday of 2018. Anybody feel like this year was just a, a whirlwind? I mean, it just flew by. And, uh, you know, it's, we're about to enter into a new season. You know, the changing of a year is a new season for people. Uh, and we call the new season 2019. We have a calendar year that we switched to, to kind of commemorate that new season. But I thought it'd be good uh, for these couple of weeks that I get to be with you to kind of use this time. Uh, uh, because I know this is kind of what we do uh, in our lives is to look at this transition from old life to new life. Uh, and so I want to talk about kind of our old life this week, and next week I'll be talking about a, our new life and a new you and what that looks like. And uh, because a lot of us this time of year, uh, for I know personally, I know a lot of people that do this. It's a time of where we do some self evaluation. We do some self-reflection. How many, how many of you do that? You kind of think about this year and what, what you've accomplished, what struggles you've overcome, where, where you were compared to this time last year, uh, and, and you just do some evaluation. You know, what are, what are some things you want to look at for next year? What are some things you want to improve? What are, what are some things as you've reviewed your past year that, that you want to make a goal for next year? And, and we call those, or a lot of people call those resolutions. Right? We make New Year's resolutions. Uh, how many of you in here uh, set some goals and, and resolutions as you evaluate one year and enter into a next? We, we do that. It's, it's common uh, uh, practice uh, to do that. And so I found the most popular resolutions. I don't know if you'll be able to see these, these up here for 2018. Um, it, it may be hard for you to see, but these are the most common ones, and I'm sure they'll be the same for 2019. Eat healthier, exercise more. How many of us on your list, uh, right? I think a lot of us have that one. Uh, save money, get out of debt. How many of that's a that's a good one to, to have on your list. Uh, focus on self-care, you know, uh, getting more sleep, resting differently, just maybe some habits that, that you're trying to change. Read more, make new friends, learn a new skill, uh, get a job, or get a new job. <laughs> either, either one, they put that in parentheses. Maybe you just need a job, uh, and that's what you're doing, or take up a new hobby. And then I love that last one. I don't plan on making any New Year's resolutions. <laughs> not even going to bother. Uh, it's not worth it, uh, you know, going, going through that. Uh, here's the problem with resolutions, and this is more of a setup for next week. Resolutions are, are on, on average, last about 17 days. <laughs> Do you know that? A New Year's resolution you make to eat healthier, get more sleep, get out of debt, save money, whatever it is, you can only do for about two weeks because you're trying to do it on your own. But I believe that we should make commitments to the Lord. And we pray and we seek God and God, you know, speak to us of what commitments you want us to renew or to make new for this year. And then with God's help, we can make it more than 17 days. And that's what we're going to talk about uh, next week. But today, I just want to look at this tra- how this translates spiritually for us and look at the new life that we have in Christ and contrast that to the old life that we had in sin. And, you know, I think uh, as I make this statement, I don't want you to think I'm preaching doom and gloom this morning just because the Sooners lost. Okay, so I'm smiling. I love you. Uh, right now, you still love me, hopefully for a few more minutes. Uh, so I don't want you to think it has anything to, to do with that. But I think we would all agree here this morning that there's something wrong with our world today. 
There's something wrong. You don't have to turn on the news for very long to recognize that there's things that are broken in our world today. There's things that are out of whack. There's things that are out of line. And almost all of us know this, no matter where you live or who you are. There's addiction and violence and corruption and envy and strife and brokenness. And the list goes on and Billy Joel. And I know this is a really bad analogy, but this will date some of you. There's an old song by Billy Joel that he sang talking about the wrongs of this world called We Didn't Start the Fire. Anybody remember this song? You're going to unholy yourself for a minute, aren't you? That's okay. Uh, but in this, in this song, he talks about the, that we didn't start the fire. It was <clears throat> always burning since the world's been turning. We didn't start the fire. No, we didn't light it, but we tried to fight it. You thought I was going to sing it, didn't you, this morning? I ain't going there. But in this song, there was 120 individual references to conflict, inventions, leaders, controversies throughout the world, and events in history, really just from the span of the 1940s to the 1980s. And this was a controversial song in its day because it brought to light all of these different scandals and kind of lumped them all together into this thing, talking about how we didn't start the fire, but the world is broken. It's burning. There's things out of place. There's things out of kilter. And so I think today, all of us could make a list probably three times that long to talk about the things that have happened in the 90s and the 2000s up until today, talking about the, the things that are, that are broken. And so as believers, we have a choice, right? We, we have a choice in the view that we take towards the brokenness in our world. And what I see today is a lot of believers even are falling victim to the brokenness of the world. It's almost like we want to have our pity party too. We want to have our, our victim mentality. We want, to, we want to have that classification or, or diagnosis about us. And so we fall victim to it ourselves and we live lives with this brokenness around us. But I want to tell you today that God wants us to rise above that. He wants us to rise above the brokenness around us because God prepared for us a victorious life Amen. through Jesus Christ. And if you are a believer today in Jesus Christ, if you have this new life that we're talking about today, then it's already been provided for you. Now, when I talk about this, let me just preface this by saying that doesn't mean life is going to be all rainbows and sunshine. Doesn't mean everything's just going to be, you know, skipping into the fields and everything's just perfect all the time and you're just whistling away. But what this means for us, that there are going to be some hard days. There's going to be trials because there's an enemy that is real that's at work against everything that God wants to do in and through our lives. And so we have to call those things as though they are, that it is an enemy at work, but the enemy has been defeated. And so it means for us that we have a Lord and a Savior and a Redeemer and a Healer and a Provider and a Waymaker and a Peace Giver and a Truth Giver and a Friend who will make a way where there seems to be no way according to the world. What a hope we have in Jesus. That should have got some more amens right there. That's the best I got today. If that don't get you fired up for God, some of y'all need to get with me this morning. Listen, throughout history... We're human, right? And we always try to fix things. Any, any fixers here today? We, we try to fix things, right? We think, oh, I've, I've got what it takes to fix this. And throughout history, humans have always strived to correct what was wrong. And we have these different instances in history. We have the age of revolution. And that age of revolution proposed that if we overthrew monarchies and we had democracies throughout the world, then everything would be better. Then there was the age of enlightenment that told us that it promised us if we just became more educated, if we learned more, then we would become better people. 
And then science came along, and science suggested that if we just advanced technology, that civilizations would become more peaceful. How many of you have seen all those things work? Revolutions and democracies came, and people are still oppressed and burdened. Education came, and it just made evil people more clever. Technology came, science came, and it brought about the atomic bomb and cybercrime, and now technology addictions right here in our hand. Listen, democracy and education and science and technology, those can be good things. Hear me today. But they cannot fix what's wrong with human nature. They cannot fix what's broken in the world. They can't fix what's broken. And so what we have to do in this case is it's easy to sit back and amen that the world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? It's easy to say the world's broken and everything's wrong and and all these kind of things. And it's easy to sit back and kind of just lift our noses up and look down at the world and talk about how broken it is. But can I tell you what has to happen? We have to look within ourselves. It starts here. If there's going to be a difference in the world, if there's going to be a change in the world, it starts right here. So we have to go beyond looking at that big brokenness of the world that we're trying to fix. And we have to go to a personal level and know that there are areas in our lives which we all have brokenness. We have addictions we can't stop. And we try to fill that emptiness in our lives with money and sex and power and stuff and relationships. And we fail to live up even to our own morals and standards. And so what happens is we have these insecurities and we have pride that gets the best of us and we become envious and then we lack loving God and then we lack loving people, the two greatest commandments that he gave us. And so what it looks like for us is you, you might be a business person who seems to have it all together, but you can't stop losing your temper with your kids and you don't know how to have any self-control. Or maybe you've been depressed over your body image and so you work out constantly and you diet and you try all these things at the expense of your family and your sanity and you become obsessed over your happiness and your sense of worth tying it to your appearance. Or maybe what a lot of us can be guilty of is we just become a Christian for so long, for as long as you can remember, but we just don't have that passion anymore for the Lord that we once had. And it's easy to just start going through the motions and playing church. Well, I sang this morning. I gave in the offering. I was faithful in attendance to Wednesday nights. And I go to small groups and I do all these things. And we go through the, the motions, but we lose the passion that God has for a lost and dying and broken world. So here's kind of the big idea of this message this morning, just for these next few moments that I, wanna, I want us to look at. Human beings can strive to fix the brokenness in their lives. But if you try to fix it on your own, can I tell you this morning, you will fail. You will fail. Christ brings us new life through Jesus and a death to our old self and an old way of living. The Bible clearly tells us what is wrong. We shouldn't be shocked by what we see in the world today. We really shouldn't. They shouldn't catch us by surprise. We shouldn't go, oh, my goodness, what what in the world is going on? Because it's been prophesied and told us that this was going to happen. If you read the book, it tells us these things. So if you look at Romans chapter 1, verse 21, listen to this. It says, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And then they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. And listen to this. They claimed to be wise but instead became 
fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, this is God's people. They worshiped idols made to look like people and birds and animals and reptiles. So what happens when we do that? It says God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their harsh desire. And as a result, they did vile and degrading things. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things of God that God created instead of the creator himself. Does that not sound like our world today? Who is worthy of eternal praise? Look at verse 28. It says, they thought it foolish to acknowledge God. So he abandoned them for their foolish thinking, let them do things that should never be done. And this is when the world became broken. Because they became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. He describes them as being backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invented new ways of sinning. And then they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises. They're heartless. They have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things to the world, yet they do them anyways. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. He's describing a broken world. That's what he's describing here, but it shouldn't catch us off guard when things are like this. We can't stick our nose up and put our heads in the sand and hide from these things around us. We have a choice to make. It's sin. And sin at its core is selfishness. Sin at its core is selfishness. It's a bent that continually looks inward instead of outward. It's about how do we please ourselves? How do we make ourselves happy? What's in this for me? How does this make me better? How does it benefit me? What's in this for me? And the Bible gives us this remedy for this selfishness, for this sinful state, and the remedy is Jesus Christ. And Jesus died on a cross and rose again to bring new life to humanity. For every single one of us, for every single sin, for every piece of brokenness that we have. And so what a lot of times people say is, well, that's great. Jesus died so I can go to heaven. But that really doesn't do anything for me until I die. Because then you get to go to heaven too if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've made him your Lord and Savior of your life. And so we have this this gap in between. We have this dash. I I just did a funeral last week for a dear saint that that passed away at uh, over 90 years old. And I was in the cemetery, and you're surrounded by all these tombstones, and there's a day of birth. And then there's a day of death. But what always separates those two dates? It's a dash. What do we do with that dash? What happens in that in-between? You know, what, what, what do we do with that part of our lives? It's, it's not about just making sure we, we have the, uh, you guys don't even have one, but in case of fire, pull here. You know, those, those emergency exit things, right? You, you break the glass, you get out, there's your emergency escape. And some of us treat heaven as if that's the chance we're going to get. That right before the end, we can break the glass, pull the escape hatch, and we're going to just skate our way barely into heaven by the hair of our chinny-chin-chin. But God has so much more for us in that dash, in that part of our life. And Paul tells us about that new life in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22. Paul tells us this. You were taught. You were taught. You've been taught. You've been told. You, you, you've had an opportunity to learn these things. You can't claim ignorance. You can't claim that you never heard about it or never knew about it. Paul says you've been taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your what? Your old self, 
your old self, which is being corrupted by deceitful desires. So what he's telling us here, if we are in Christ, then we put off our old way of living. Our old self is gone. We don't have to go back to that old brokenness, that old way of life. So then listen to what Paul says. He says, be made what? New. Be made new in the attitude of your minds and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So listen, the old you doesn't just stop doing the bad things you used to do. You now have a new life, a new you. You're renewed from the inside out. You have this new way of living. It's not just a matter of stopping the sin. It's not a matter of stopping the old, breaking the old, putting off the old. It's a matter of this new life. What is the new life? What do you do now going forward? It's not just about surviving, barely getting by. God has a life prepared for us that is incredible. And can I tell you, most of us live way below the the life that God has prepared for us. This new life exists because our identity is in Jesus. Who, who in here has been baptized in water? You, you've been baptized in water. Most of you have. Water baptism is something that happens after you've made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. We don't believe that water baptism saves you. That's not what saves you. I know there's different faith theories and theologies and and different things but for what we believe we believe that water baptism is an outward sign it's an outward decision to show the world the decision that you've made to follow Jesus Christ it's symbolic it's symbolic you go down in the water that's the old self and when you come up new you're cleansed by Jesus you're clean you're made new that's the new life and you're saying to the world here I am God fresh and anew, fresh and clean, ready to serve you, ready to live for you. That's what water baptism represents. And so that's what we do. It's that old way of life when we're baptized. It's a symbol of dying to the old self and rising new with Jesus. It talks about that in Romans chapter 6. I won't preach about that this morning. But listen, your identity is now not in how much you have or how, how you look or where you're from. The core identity you have is now in who you know the person of Jesus. It's about that relationship, right? It's like for when you get married. For ladies, you change your last name. Most most people do, right? In in our culture, in our customs, you take on a different name, right? You have a new identity. You, You become part of a different family, a new family. And it's like that when we become followers of Jesus Christ. It's like our names are changed because our names become written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so we become part of this new family. It's this new life, this new identity that we have. Okay, I want to I give you, you guys know I like to do visuals, right? Let me, let me give you a visual here this morning. I found this old coat in my closet. Okay, the best analogy I could find was Tommy Boy, fat guy in a little coat. I know that's awful. I'm not going to do the dance. Okay, this is what it's like when you become a believer and you try to do things in your old life. They just don't fit anymore. We want, we want our cake and, and eat it too, as the old saying says. We want the best of both worlds. We want to ride the fence. We, we want the things of this world. We want the things. Man, I had fun in my sin life. So I want those things. I want those relationships. I want those habits. I, I want those things. But man, I sure do want those blessings of God because they sound really good. 
I want healing. I want peace. I want favor. I want heaven, right? We want all those things, but we want to ride that line. And so this is what it looks like. The old former way just doesn't fit anymore. And this is really uncomfortable, so I'm going to take it off. (laughs) If I can. There we go. I won't try that again. But listen, that visual is what it's like for us when, when we try to have that old life. And what happens is we've just got to take it off. You've got to put it aside. You've got to lay it aside. You can't go back to that old way of life anymore. It's uncomfortable, yeah. right? It's, it's uncomfortable. It, it's not you anymore. Right. It doesn't fit anymore. But yet too many times we try to make it work still. Yeah. We try to make it fit. But as long as we put on the new coat for Sunday morning, then everything's going to be okay. But we're going to put on the old coat as we go through our day-to-day lives throughout the week. And God doesn't want it that way. God doesn't want a part of us. He doesn't want 10%, 90%, 50%. He wants 100% of our lives committed to him. The old life doesn't fit us anymore. So what do these old and new lives look like in contrast? See, something everyone talks about at the beginning of the year, I showed you the list, is getting healthy. And I found this little meme that was hilarious. Gym in December, empty. Gym in January, it's crazy. Everybody fighting over equipment and weights and barbells and, and all those kind of things. We talk about weight loss and fitness. And see, in the old way, you would see that as an insecurity about your weight, that lack of health, and you would strive to work harder and harder and harder to look like you want to look. Now, look, it's not a bad thing to want to get healthy, okay? It's not a bad thing to, to have goals to be, to be healthier and to lose weight and, and those kind of things. But what happens to a lot of us is we begin to obsess about it. And it becomes our God. It becomes what we worship. And, and, and we tell ourselves, be happy, me convinces us that if we just lost that weight, if we just looked better, if things were, were different, then everything would be happier in our lives. People would see us differently, treat us differently. You know, we'd get the opportunities we deserve, and we become obsessed about it morning and night. And we, we don't spend time with our family, and we just obsess over these things and how we look because our identity is tied to our insecurity. But see, for those of us who have this new life in Christ, you're going to deal with some of those insecurities. You're going to deal with some of those things and and these goals to get in shape. But your identity is now in Christ, not your weight or your fitness abilities or, or, or levels or any of those things. Being in shape and losing weight are healthy things. But they're not the only thing. They're not the solution. They're not the fix-all for the brokenness in your life. Your new life in Christ helps you look at your brokenness in a way that shows God as at work to transform you. Amen. So that sets us up for next week. These are commitments that God can help you with, right? They're not resolutions and, and the gym's going to be empty by the 17th of January. We have to look at that brokenness in a way and show that God is at work in transforming our lives. Anybody ever heard this statement, you can't fit a round peg into a square hole? I got one more visual for you this morning. I love visuals. Maybe uh, it just helps me remember what I'm talking about. But anybody remember these things? Okay, so I have four kids, right? We've had our fair share of these these little action things. So you take a shape, right, and you find the hole that it goes in. And it only goes in one. There's nine different holes on this box, but this shape only goes in one hole right there, right? But what happens is, this is what we do with our lives, is we take this shape, we take this old way of life, right? And we try to fit it in our new life that God has for us. And what happens when my kids do this game? They get mad. They get frustrated. 
I'm trying to fit it in there. It looks like it should go. Why doesn't it fit in this hole? It looks like it should go. And that's what we do with our old life is we try to fit our old life into our new life. And then we get frustrated when things don't go as planned. And then what do we get? We get blaming it on God. Well, it's God's fault. God's not blessing me. What about these promises that God has? What about what it says in Scripture, you know, that I shouldn't deal with these things, that everything should be better, I should have enough money, and, and all these things? It's because we're trying to fit a round peg in a square hole. We're trying to fit our old life into our new life, and it doesn't work that way, and we get frustrated by it. But can I tell you, when my kids get to going on these things and they start finding the things that fit in the right holes, if I can, there we go, you get excited, Right? I was, doing a, I was doing a puzzle with my son yesterday, and he was getting frustrated. I'm no good at puzzles. I'm no good at puzzles. It was a little 100-piece kid's puzzle. And I kept telling him, it's okay. You've got to learn. You've got to practice. You've got to work on it. It takes patience. It takes diligence. I'm not, I don't like puzzles either, but I got the frame for him, right? I got all the edge pieces, and I said, look, there it is. There's your box. Now work with inside this box, Right, find the pieces, look at the picture, start putting things together that match. There was windows. I said, start with the windows. There was a dinosaur as a Jurassic Park puzzle. Get the dinosaur's head, get his teeth, get his mouth. Pick out pieces of this and make it fit within what you're trying to do. Don't try to take things that don't fit and make them fit. That's good preaching right there. But that's what we do with our old life is we try to take these old ways of thinking, these old habits, these old relationships, these old connections, the old fun, the old people, the old vices, the old things, the old conversations, the old jokes and the old stories and all these old things. And we try to make them fit into our new life. And we get frustrated when they don't because it doesn't work that way. When we've been given new life in Christ and we still try to live the old way, We experience frustration and heartache and doubt. And the enemy comes in to try to steal, kill, and destroy when we open him up to those possibilities. But in Christ, we have this different identity. We have a different shape of life. And we try to live both lives. Our lives are like this. But if we try to live the new life, we can't fit pleasures of the world in with the ways of God. They just don't fit doesn't work it doesn't calculate <clears throat> john fourteen six. jesus said these words i am the way and the truth and the life he said no man comes to the father except through me you can try whatever ways you want so listen to me this morning no matter what you're going through listen all of us individualize and compartmentalize our issues don't we well, nobody's ever gone through what I'm going through right now, Pastor. Nobody's ever dealt with what I'm... You have no idea what they said to me. You have no idea what they did to me. You have no idea. Nobody can relate. Nobody knows. And we become, we become isolated to our issues. And then we think, well, God doesn't even know. God can't even fix this. God can't do this. But let me tell you, no matter what issue you're struggling with today, God has revealed to us who he is in every book of the Bible. Every book of the Bible. Listen to this this morning. In Genesis, 
He's the creator and promised redeemer. In Exodus, he's the Passover lamb. In Leviticus, he's the high priest. In Numbers, he's the water in the desert. In Deuteronomy, he becomes the curse for us. In Joshua, he's the commander of the army of the Lord. In Judges, he delivers us from injustice. In Ruth, he's our kinsman redeemer. In 1 Samuel, he's all in one. He's prophet, priest, and king. In 2 Samuel, he's the king of grace and of love. In 1 Kings, he's the ruler greater than Solomon. In 2 Kings, he's the powerful prophet. In 1 Chronicles, he's the son of David that is coming to rule. And in 2 Chronicles, he's the king who reigns forevermore. In Ezra, he's the priest proclaiming freedom. In Nehemiah, he's the one who restores what is broken. In Esther, he's the protector of his people. In Job, he's the mediator between God and man. In Psalms, he's our song in the morning and at night. In Proverbs, he's our wisdom. In Ecclesiastes, he's our meaning for life. In the Song of Solomon, he's the author of faithful love. In Isaiah, he's the suffering servant. In Jeremiah, the weeping Messiah. Lamentations, he's assuming God's wrath for us that I talked about this morning. In Ezekiel, he comes as the son of man. In Daniel, he's the stranger in the fire with you. In Hosea, he's the faithful husband, even when we run away. In Joel, he's sending his spirit to his people. In Amos, he delivers justice to the oppressed. In Obadiah, he's the judge of those who do evil. In Jonah, he's the greatest missionary. In Micah, he cast our sin into the sea of forgetfulness. In Nahum, he proclaims future world peace we cannot even imagine. In Habakkuk, he crushes injustice. In Zephaniah, he's the warrior who saves. In Haggai, he restores our worship. In Zechariah, he prophesies a Messiah, pierced for us. In Malachi, he's the son of righteousness who brings healing. Anybody dealing with any of those today, he came for you to provide that for you. And that's just the Old Testament. Listen to what he is in the New Testament. In Matthew, he's the Messiah who is king. In Mark, he's the Messiah, the servant. In Luke, the Messiah who is a deliverer. In John, he's the Messiah who is God in the flesh. In Acts, he's the spirit who dwells in his people. We had that experience this morning. The spirit of God spoke to us by the gifts of his spirit. In Romans, he's the righteousness of God. In 1 Corinthians, he's the power and love of God. In 2 Corinthians, he's the down payment of what's to come. In Galatians, he's our very life. In Ephesians, he's the unity of the church. In Philippians, he's the joy of life. In Colossians, he holds the supreme position over and in all things. In 1 Thessalonians, he's our comfort in the last days. In 2 Thessalonians, he's our returning king. In 1 Timothy, he's the savior of the worst sinners. In 2 Timothy, he's the leader of leaders. In Titus, he's the foundation of truth. In Philemon, he's our mediator. In Hebrews, he's our high priest. In James, he matures our faith. In 1 Peter, he's our hope in your time of suffering. In 2 Peter, he's the one who guards us from false teaching. In 1 John, he's the source of all fellowship. In 2 John, the God in flesh. 3 John, the source of all truth. Jude, he protects us when we stumble. And in Revelations, he's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the alpha, the omega, the beginning, the end. He's coming again, and he's the one who makes all things provided. Listen, he is whatever you need today. He's provided for you. Whatever you're going through today, a remedy, an escape, an answer, a solution. Here is the primary takeaway I want us to hear today. We have new life and new identity in Jesus. And the old way of living doesn't matter anymore. I want you to get that in your spirit for just a moment this morning. You have a new life. And a new identity in Jesus. And some of us treat our past like an old ball and chain. And we just drag it around with us. Because we think it defines us and it labels us. And we can't ever break free from it. But the Bible tells us that if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. 
It says the old things have passed away and all things are new. You know, my understanding of that scripture means is there's a, there's a clean break. The old things have passed away and all things are new. The old things have passed away and all things are new. So here's how I want to end this time together today. I, I love communion. I love the Lord's Supper. I love coming to the table of the Lord. Just like water baptism, communion is just symbolic. Yeah. I, I don't know what you guys normally do here, so if I'm stepping on something, talk to Pastor Sid about it. <laughs> I want us to do communion today in a, in a way that is a time of reflection, a, a time of prayer. Uh, communion is, is a symbolic, right? There, there's bread and, and there's juice that are symbolic of, of Jesus and the price he paid for us to give us this new life that, that I talk about today. The bread represents his body that was broken for us. The juice represents his blood that was shed for us on the cross at Calvary. And from time to time, we, we get away from the awe of what Jesus did for us to give us this new life. And dare I say, I think sometimes we, we kind of take it for granted, this new life that we have in Christ. We, we kind of get away from the impact of it. And, and so here's what communion is. In 1 Corinthians 11.23, when we look at Scripture, this is, this is what it says. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, talking about the Last Supper, he took the bread, and when he had given thanks given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me then in the same way after supper he took the cup and he said this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me you see that again some churches have like a table that says in remembrance of me you know what I'm talking about at the front because you do this in remembrance of Jesus verse 26 says for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup not only are you remembering, but now he says you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. So now we're saying Jesus just didn't die and raise again. Jesus is coming again. He's coming back. Then look at verse 27. So whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. So, whoa. Now we got to put the brakes on for a minute. We can't just go through the motions of the symbolic communion. So we give thanks, we remember, right? We proclaim that he's coming again, but now we got to do some reflection. we gotta, we got to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us, see if there's not any wicked way in us. Verse 28 says, everyone, everybody say everyone, ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink the cup. Straight from Scripture, we're giving the instructions. So that's what we're going to do this morning. The Lord's Supper is four things for me. The first one is that we look back. We look back at the cross. We look back at the sacrifice that Jesus made. We remember him. We give thanks for what he did for us. We go back to that moment where we first surrendered our life to the Lord, where we were in awe of the freedom that only Jesus Christ can provide for us. The second thing we do is we look within. We examine our hearts, our lives, our actions, our motives. And we ask God, is there any spiritual condition in us that we need to seek repentance for. 
Then the third thing is we look outward. We look out to that day. We, by participating in communion, it puts things into perspective for us. Looking outside of our own selves. Remember that whole sin is selfishness? Communion helps us to look outward, that we need the body of Christ. We need each other, that none of us are in this alone, that we got to look out to a lost world. It reminds us that there's a remedy for the brokenness around us. And then the last thing it does is we look ahead. The Bible tells us that Jesus is coming back for his glorious bride. Listen, we don't know the day or the hour, do we? People try to predict it all the time, don't they? They point to some symbols in the world and things that are going on, and they say, oh, it's, it's about to happen. Then they try to point at the Antichrist and the marks of the beast and all those kind of things. Can I tell you, this is my end-time theology. This is it right here. Are you ready? This is going to wow you. Just be ready. Amen. Just be ready. The day and the hour is unknown. Be ready. Don't wait. Don't wait because you never know. And then my second part of my end time theology is take somebody with you. Be ready, but tell somebody else about it so they're ready as well. Right? Think about those things today. So here's what we're going to do. I think we're just going to kind of worship and sing for a moment. My wife and I, we're going to come and just serve you communion. Uh, As we serve you, just hold on to the elements. I'll I'll come back and give you some instruction, okay, uh, to take those. But just during this time, just in your own way, if if you need to get around, if you want to come to the altar, uh, whatever you're comfortable doing, just spend some time doing those four things, looking back, looking within, looking outward, and looking ahead, okay? Search your hearts. If there's anything you need to repent of, you need forgiveness of do that this morning if you just need to give thanks if you just want that passion for God again just do that this morning so let's take a few minutes to do that and we'll come around and serve you this morning God you are so worthy you are worthy of all of our praise adoration worship and words God the lyrics the words the prayers God they're not adequate to express the adoration and the love and the appreciation and the thanks that we have for you. So God, as we are about to prepare our hearts to participate in your holy communion, God, I thank you for these elements. I thank you for this cracker that represents your body that was broken for us. Thank you, Jesus, for what you endured on the cross the nails in your hands and feet, the crown of thorns piercing your brow, the lashes and the whipping and the beating that you took, the spitting, the mocking, everything you did to be broken for me, for my sin, for my past, for my choices, for my transgressions, for my brokenness, for my wicked ways. It was for me. God, I thank you for this juice that represents the blood that was shed for us. God, we don't like to talk about the blood because it makes us uncomfortable. It makes it uneasy and queasy. But God, without the blood, there is no healing. Without the blood, there was no sacrifice. Without your blood, 
There's no new life today. So God, thank you for the blood that was shed for us. It's by your stripes and through the blood of Jesus that gives us the word of our testimony today, that gives us healing of our mind and body and spirits today. And it's through the relationship that was provided through that sacrifice that we can call on the name of Jesus, the name that is above every name, that every knee would bow and tongue confess today that Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus, you're my king today. You're my father. You're my redeemer. You're my friend. You're my way maker. God, you are all that I need and will ever need today. God, whatever needs are represented in this place today, God, I pray right now that you're touching people's hearts and minds and lives. There's things that are out of order that you're bringing into order. There's brokenness that you're mending today. There's strife that you're reconciling. There's sickness that you're healing. There's depression that you're healing. There's disunity that you're bringing peace to today. There's confusion and lostness that you're bringing direction to and clarity to today. There's decisions that are having to be made that you're bringing wisdom and discernment to today. There's questions that people have about their journey of faith that you're answering today. Thank you, Jesus, that we have new life, that we can put off our old selves and have new life that only you can provide through relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. 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 On the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks. Let's give thanks today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. When he given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread today. Hallelujah. 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 In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the new covenant. In my blood, do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take the cup this morning. Hallelujah. Would you just stand with me this morning and lift your hands all over this place and just give God thanks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you have a prayer language this morning, would you just pray in the Holy Ghost today? Would you just call down from heaven? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Aleluia. 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 God, we just seal these things that you've done today. Seal it in our hearts. God, your word tells us to write it on the tablet of our hearts. God, write it deep within our spirits today so that we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are the Lord of lords and King of kings, that there is no one else above you or no one else like you, God. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you that Jesus Christ died on a cross for my sin, was placed in a borrowed tomb, and as it was said, prophesied, three days later, he rose again, victorious. And because of that victorious rising of Jesus Christ, he's now sitting at your right hand, interceding on my behalf. And he's taken the keys to death, hell, and the grave. And now the enemy is under our feet. And no weapon formed against us shall prosper. No vice or scheme or plan of the enemy has a place in our lives. So we take authority by the power and the blood of Jesus Christ over every lie, over every voice, over every torment, over every sickness, over every disunity and discord, over every broken family and broken home and broken marriage, over every financial issue today, over every health issue today. We take authority over it in the name of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus Christ. The awesome and mighty and matchless and powerful name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God, we give you the glory today and the honor and the praise and the praise. Let's praise him this morning in this place. Hallelujah. 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 I'm just believing that 2019, I know this will sound cliche, but it'll be your best year yet. If we make it to that, Jesus may come back. Jesus could come back when you're preparing your black eyed peas and whatever else you're going to do. Jesus could come back. Are you ready? Are you ready this morning? Are you ready?